0: All right, Kairos. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, uh, I'm going to share with you a pet peeve, and that's this: What's up with the bad cell service recently in Nashville? Yes, thank you. Maybe it's a Verizon issue. Did I hear this from somebody? All the way in Columbia, all the way way down in Sea Town. Okay, here's the deal: If you have not had this problem, um, I'm very jealous and I'm angry about it, but. What's been happening recently is that I've had phone conversations with people and the connection is bad. And what happens is you are talking to the person and all of a sudden you hear every other word that they're saying. Can you feel me on that, right? And so you start going, hey, I can't hear you. And they go, I can't hear you either. It must be your fault. so you start blaming each other, but you can't really hear each other. Eventually we start going, okay, I'm just gonna hang up. So you start calling them back. Guess what happens then? You just keep missing each other, right? You like leave voicemails on each other's phones. You kind of like give up. Eventually two hours later you reconnect and it's just terrible because self-service, this kind of connection has become such a part of our life that we just don't know what to do without it. And that's another night of my rant about technology. If you hear me over and over again, I'm always like technology is the worst. Tonight, when it comes to to connection, this is our theme for the night. How to have a connection with Jesus. If we say at Kairos that we want to be a place where we can connect to Jesus Christ, each other, and the local church, it all starts with Jesus. How do we connect with Jesus? Because that connection is vital for us to be people who are his followers. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, once you turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 39. That's our text for tonight. I'm going to read it to you, okay? So we're just doing two verses. Uh, and it says this uh, John 5, verse 39 and 40. Jesus is speaking, okay? And he says this He says, You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Now, Jesus, in the context of this text, is is facing people who hate him. Uh, there are people who are very critical of Jesus and his ministry, which you know, may seem shocking to you. When you think about the Son of God, you think he'd have a 100% approval rating, but he doesn't. There are people who are out to get him, and they're out to get him for some of the strangest things. In this case, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and as a result, the Pharisees come to him because they're afraid that he's broken God's law. And so they say, by what authority do you have to, to do this? How do you think you have authority? the right to heal somebody, even though they're lame, to actually heal them on the Sabbath. And so there uh, ends up being a long-term dialogue, which ends here where Jesus says something that is absolutely shocking to him. You know what he says to him? He says, listen, you guys are reading the scriptures, but the scriptures are about me. Now, because we kind of grew up in church, that doesn't seem like a crazy thing to say, right? Uh, I don't know if you grew up in a Sunday school class, where the answer to every question was what? Jesus, right. There's an old joke say, out there about a little boy who's in Sunday school, and the teacher says to him, hey, what has a bushy tail? is brown and looks for nuts. And the little boy looks at her and says, all right, that sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus, right? Because that's just the way we roll in Sunday school. And yet, in Jesus' day, this is a incredible claim. Like this is an insane claim that somebody would say, everything you've been reading about Moses and the law and the prophets, that's all ultimately about me. And you're missing me. You're not connecting with me. I'm right in front of you. And you need to see that I'm the fulfillment of everything that you're looking for. Now, let's unpack this claim. Because some of you may go, okay, that is a crazy claim. How could Jesus say that? You know, how could he say that? Like, that just doesn't seem to make sense. A couple years ago, I was pastoring uh, a church here in Nashville, and a guy came to our service. We've been praying for him to show up for years. Uh, he was the father of one of our church members. He showed up, and he was so moved by the worship. His, he was in tears. He was just like, man, that was so beautiful. And so we were all, like, feeling good about ourselves. We were like, sweet, man, this is really great. Uh, Jim loves our service. Like, he's just, like, our music's awesome. So we asked him another question, like, what made you love the music? And this guy was like, next level delusional. Because what he said next was crazy. He said, the reason I loved it so much was because everybody was singing about me. We're like, okay, like, obviously you were not paying attention. Because most of those songs were about Jesus. They were not about you, Jim. You've never even come to the church before. How could we be singing about you? And this is the way that the people who are listening to Jesus probably heard it. They're like, how in the world could you take what Moses said about the law and the scriptures be about you? And so it's important for us to see that, that, that question and that claim and then go backwards and kind of figure out like what Jesus is really saying. You see, this isn't the only time Jesus says this about himself. Um, if you uh, remember the story of the crucifixion, Jesus was crucified, he was dead, and he was buried. On the third day, he was raised again. And when Jesus was raised to life, a lot of people were uncertain as to what was going to happen next because some people were hearing stories of Jesus uh, being seen. They were hearing stories of the tomb being empty, and they didn't really know what to make of it because they were saying, how could a, a person die and then come back to life, right? That just seems absurd. And yet, there were two men on their way to a place called Emmaus. They were followers of Jesus. And as they were walking on their way to Emmaus, Another person joined them and began to talk to them about what had happened. They started telling them the story of Jesus and how they were, like, wrecked by this. And they didn't know what to do. And in Luke chapter 24, we find this third person, who's Jesus, telling them how to interpret the Scriptures. Look with me in verse 25. He said, this is Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus yet, but he said to them, "'How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken.'" Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So, what Jesus does is he says, Listen, the scripture ultimately is a story about me. I'm the key to understanding it. And for many of us, like we come to our Bibles and we read them simply for stories about how to live morally or how to live right or how to get God to answer your prayers. And so we read stories about David fighting giants and we think, wow, that's cool. Like we can fight giants like that. Just if we like believe enough and we care enough, God will fight for us. But that's not how we interpret the scriptures. The scriptures are ultimately about Jesus and what he's done for us. And so if you start looking at the text, you... Start looking through the scriptures, start reading your Bible, and start seeing Jesus in it. You start seeing a different story. You see a story that's much bigger than simply a story about how we can like life hack our life and have a better life here and now. But we see a story of God's redemptive plan and his redemptive work in us and how he can change our life and give us a different hope. And so uh, one of my favorite ways to do this, just give you a practical interpretation skill, is something called promise fulfillment. When you see something in the Bible that reminds you of what Jesus did, often there's a promise that's being presented for you, which ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Probably the the easiest one of these to see in the Old Testament is the story of uh, Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham was told by God that he would have a son, and that son would be uh, the beginning of a great nation. Now, Abraham's old at the time. He's 99 years old. It seems crazy for him, as like it does for us now, that somebody that old could have a kid. But he ends up having a son. He calls him Isaac, which literally means it's hilarious, okay? <laughs> so he's like, all right, we're going to have my son, hilarious, and we're going like to raise him up to follow the Lord. And then God tells him to do something even crazier, which is to take that son that is the son of the promise and sacrifice him on a mountain. So Abraham does that. He goes and takes his son to this mountain and brings him to the altar. And as he's about to sacrifice his son, an angel says, Abraham, don't do that. I want you to go look over to your right. There's a a ram, a a sheep that's caught in a thicket. I want you to go take that sheep and I want you to sacrifice it in your son's place. And so he does that. And here we find a picture of what Jesus did for us. That on another day, 2,000 years later, actually on the very same spot where Abraham offers his son up as a sacrifice, there would be another substitute, but that would not just be another lamb that was offered. It would be the very son of God, and God would bring his own son and have him there in that space, and his blood would be shed for us so that we could have life. That's the gospel in the book of Genesis. And throughout the Bible, you find these promises that are being made that are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, your entire Bible ultimately is telling you who I am. And you're missing it. You're missing it. And here's the thing. I'm deeply concerned for my own life, my own walk with Jesus... That when I look at these Pharisees, who were the best followers of God at the time, the ones who kept the rules, they kept not only the Ten Commandments, they kept all 613 rules in the Old Testament. When I look at them, sometimes I can look down on them, make fun of them, be like, wow, you guys are a bunch of rule keepers, fundamentalists. I would hate to be around you guys. Thank God you guys are off the scene. And forget the fact that the place that it's easiest to miss God is at church. See, we're not so different than the Pharisees. And it's easy to come to church and sing about Jesus. It's easy to come to church and talk about Jesus. It's easy to come to church and learn about Jesus, but not actually meet Jesus. Because what Jesus desires more than anything else is he desires a relationship, a connection with us. He wants us to pursue a connection, not pursue performance. And many of us, try to keep score in our relationship with God by the things that we do or the, 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 the Bible stories we can learn or like how good we are to others and we miss the person of Jesus Christ and he can be right in front of us and we can miss him. And what I want for you more than anything else is for you to see how good Jesus really is and to desire him because Jesus is all about relationships. He's all about connecting in relationships. That's what Jesus is about. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And that's what Jesus ultimately did. When Jesus walked the earth as the Son of God, he didn't write a single best-selling book. He didn't build a single church. He did not start a movement. What he did is he invested his life in 12 friends and he preached the gospel to the crowds. And those 12 friends went further than any crowd that he ever reached because the people that he invested his life in, the relationships he had with those, were the ones who ignited a movement that changed the world. And Jesus wants a relationship with you like that. He wants a deep, abiding relationship because that's what He's about. He's about relationships. Now, with relationships, they're all about putting in time. They're about putting in time. So I think the best thing we could do for the next couple of minutes as we consider the fact that Jesus wants a relationship with you and he wants to know you and he wants you to connect to him, is to say, like, how can we do that? Because a lot of us go, cool, I get that, but how do we do that? And I think the very first thing we need to do when we want to be people in a relationship with God is to find a connection and to be consistent in it. To be consistent. Um, Relationships ultimately are about time. And they're about choosing to spend consistent time with God. And we know this about everything else. A little bit of a a commitment over time is a lot more than a lot of commitment for a short amount of time. You know this like with working out, right? Like when you, those of you guys who decided like get in shape, right? You start saying, okay, if I want to get in shape, I can't go get in shape all in one day. Like I can't just like eat healthy for one day. I can't just like go to the gym like all day, one day, or even one week. You have to choose to do a little bit every day. Same thing is true with investment. Like if you just throw all your money into the stock market one day and hope to have enough to retire on, that's never going to work. But if you give a little bit of money over time, that money will grow and grow and grow. And so one day you can be like, hey, I don't have to work anymore. Same thing is true with relationships. Any relationship ultimately is an investment over time where you consistently pursue a relationship with somebody else. And so in my relationship, the most important relationship I have in my life is probably the relationship I have with Tabitha, my wife. And we have just chosen to consistently connect over and over through the day. So we do that at different points. We have like different points where like we want to consistently connect. So uh, if you spend any time with me, you know that in the morning, the first thing I try to do is I try to have a conversation with her. Because if we don't, it's going to be the middle of the night, and we have not connected. So I try to talk to her first thing. So we connect. Our kids get mad because we're like sipping our coffee. We're like, man, we've got like— we're like grouchy old people until we get coffee. We're just like sipping that coffee. We're like, okay. You know, kind of slowly groggily waking up. But that point of connection is really important first thing in the morning. Then at lunchtime, we always have a phone call. We're always like, yo, what's up? And if she doesn't call me. I'm always like a little worried. I'm like, something bad happened because I'm like trying to figure out why she hasn't called me or I haven't called her. So we just usually connect that at, at lunch. And then at In the evening when we come home, the first thing we try to do, first like five minutes when we get home, is we try to look at each other in the face and be like, hey, how was your day? We want to connect. Because if we're not consistent in our connection throughout the day, we'll find that we are disconnected. Um, And uh, the other day, last last week, I got a chance to go to Atlanta for a pastor's gathering. So I went to Atlanta. And I'm going to tell you, it was weird. I felt like such a weirdo. Because like we talked eight times in the time I was gone. We talked more while I was gone than when I was like in our house. Why? because I kept seeing things that I thought were cool. I was like, I gotta tell you this because our connection was strong. We consistently try to connect with one another. And so my invitation to you is to do the same thing in your walk with Jesus. Be consistent. Uh, My dad gave me some great advice when I was a kid. Um, His advice was this. He said, if you wanna connect with Jesus on a daily basis, try this, no Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. Now that's pretty intense. That does not count coffee, okay? For anybody who are like uh, keeping score, coffee is like, that's like a whole different category, okay? But like, if we say, I want to connect with Jesus, I'm going to have a time where I feed myself spiritually. And I connect to Jesus Christ first, then I'm able to consistently connect with Jesus throughout the day. Because consistency is king when it comes to connection. Um, and so if you want to connect with Jesus in a greater way, my invitation to you is say First thing in the morning, what I want to do is I want to connect to Jesus Christ before I do anything else except for that coffee, all right? Number two, be expectant. Be expectant. You know, a lot of times when when we feel disconnected with God is because we don't expect to see him. We don't don't expect to see him when we read the Bible. We, We look at the Bible and we see it as something that we need to do or something we need to read, but we don't see it as something that we can see Jesus in. So sometimes when we look at the Bible, we look at it, we see it, it almost like this like painting. Like We're like looking at this thing, and we're trying to like copy it. We're trying to just be like it. But we're not really looking at it the way it was intended. The Bible's not intended to be a painting that we look at. It, it's intended to be a picture, I'm sorry, a window that we look through. And we can see Jesus Christ and connect to him. That's what the Bible is made to do. It's made to point us to Jesus, to know who he is, to connect to him why because he longs to be close to us he longs to have a connection with us he longs to know us he longs for us to have a seat at the table he wants us to be his and sometimes we can feel like we can't get there because we've done too many things that are wrong or we have just been so apathetic or we don't know how he's going to receive us and if we would just see the way that he sees us i think our life would change erratically A couple years ago, I got a chance to go to a wedding for some dear friends. Now, here's the deal. I do a lot of weddings. So I had done so many weddings at the time that I'd forgotten what it was like to actually show up at a wedding, okay? Because I'm usually there so early. Like, when I show up at a wedding, I'm usually there an hour and a half ahead of time, and I'm just bored out of my mind. Uh, But when we got invited to this wedding, they said, hey, we want you to come, and we want you to bring your kids. Which I was like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be honest, like kids at weddings can either be like great or can be like absolutely the worst. But they're like, no, we want you to bring your kids. We want you guys to go. And so we all dressed up. We got in the minivan. We started heading down to the wedding. And my wife goes, where's the wedding? I said, well, somewhere outside of Brentwood. Well, somewhere outside of Brentwood was like Leaper's Fork, which is not somewhere outside of Brentwood. I mean, it is, but it's like, it's like way outside of, Leap, of Brentwood. And so we kind of drove through the city of Brentwood. We drove through Franklin. We were going towards Leaper's Fork, and we realized we were going to be late. I don't know about you, but going to a wedding and being late is just a bad scene for everybody, okay? Like, it is not a great scene, and as the time started getting closer and closer to the time, the wedding was going to start because it was seven o'clock wedding. It was going to start at seven. We started freaking out because I was like, I don't know if we're going to get there on time, and my daughter, who was uh, seven at the time, heard us in the back seat. She goes, we're not going to make it on time. I want to go to a wedding. I've never been to one. And then my five-year-old is like, we're not going to a wedding. Oh, no. So like, they are starting to melt down in the back. I'm just going, oh, no. Oh, no. Dad fail. Like Complete dad fail. Also, pastor fail because I'm their pastor and I'm going to be late. So we get to the event. It's getting dark. We can't really see a whole lot because there's no lighting in Leaper's Fork at all. So we're like rolling up there. And as we roll up, I see something that just is horrifying, which is that the bride is about to enter the barn for the wedding. And something inside of me just like broke. I was like, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to live this down. Like I'd I'd done marriage counseling with this couple. I'd I'd met with them. I'd, I'd, I'd been there for them when they almost broke up. Like I knew them really well. And I was late. I was late, like really late. Uh, to the wedding. And I didn't know how we were going to get out of the, the van without it being a huge thing and like stealing the bride's spotlight and just like making a mess of it. And everybody's going to hate us. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so we just like stopped. And it was, like our lights, of course, because I was, like, it couldn't get any worse. Our lights, like we didn't stop like in the corner. Our lights were like pointing straight at the bride as she was about to get in. She's like spotlight like this. You know, and our kids are like, Are we gonna get out? I was like, No, we can't get out. We're gonna miss the wedding. We're just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I turned off the lights and the kids were like, We're gonna miss it, daddy. And everybody's like falling apart. And I was like, Oh, what are we doing? And I'll never forget what happened next. The bride looked at us and she said, Come. Just come. Just come. I want you to come. It's not too late. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be connected to us because I want you to be in the moment because it doesn't matter if you're here late. It matters that you're here. The same thing is true with Jesus. Listen, we can be people who are so disconnected from God. We can be living our life half inside the church, half outside in the party scene. We can be far from God in so many ways. We can be, be people who who don't know if we believe in Jesus anymore, and all of that is okay because God says, I just want you to come just as you are because I love you and you're mine and I want you to have a seat at the table. I want you to be connected to me. And so tonight, I think it's important for us as we're talking about being connected to Jesus, I know that there are many of us who have been around church our whole life, and we are not connected to Jesus. We may be people who have led worship in the past year, or we've taught Bible studies, or we've led small groups, or maybe this is the first time for you to be in church in a long time. And I just want you to hear that it's never too late because God wants to connect with you. He wants you at the party. He wants you there. Why? Because He loves you. You are His son or His daughter, and He is so for you. And so, we're going to take a time of 120 seconds to really just say, like, let's just sit in that moment when we think about what Jesus is doing. Listen, the Bible is all about Jesus, but it's also all about you. It's about how the fact that God relentlessly desires you to be in his family, and he always has space for his sons and daughters. And he wants you to be close to him. And he wants you to know him. And he wants you to be his. And he loves you with reckless abandon. And I don't know if the only thing you can see is the last time you messed up. And I don't know if you can see all your questions and your doubts. Like, is Jesus the only way to God? Do we have all the truth? Like, am I going to follow God? Or what's that going to cost me? He knows all those things, and what He wants you to do is He wants you to just come because He wants to be connected to you. And I promise you, if you let Him, He will change your life forever. So tonight, we, we need to reset the connection. Maybe We need to reset it. We need to push the reset button. We need to start over. We need to come clean again. Why? Because the connection is worth it. The relationship is worth it. We want to be a part of the conversation. So our time of 120 seconds is a time where we just kind of just like let the word of God kind of live, live within us. Let it call us to something new. And The question for us tonight is where, where do I need to reset so I can reconnect with Jesus? Where do I need to reset so I can reconnect? with Jesus. I don't know where you need to reset. Like, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your quiet time with God in the morning. Maybe it's your commitment to be a part of a Bible study like this one. Maybe it's a decision to start going to church every week. I don't know what it is that God's going to be calling you to reset. But I do know it's because He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a part of the relationship, and He wants you to come in. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I know um, that many of us tonight are running on fumes. We are. Like, we're tired. And, And we need a reset. Some of us are tired of like being religious, but You've not call this to religion you'd call this to a relationship some of us are feeling the weight of the world you say come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden I'll give you rest there's others who are feeling loneliness deep abiding loneliness no one knows your name no one really knows you Jesus does. Jesus is inviting you to come have a seat. I've been waiting for you. Don't stay out in the dark. Come join the party because you matter.